It is May 10th, the fifth Sunday in this season of Easter. And it is Mother's Day here in the United States. So, this is a Mother's Day sermon. But I find it difficult to celebrate any holiday during a time like this. A time of the virus. And this virus continues to kill and divide us. It's terrifying how the symptoms of this virus can manifest so differently in its hosts. In some people, the signs of infection are so subtle and benign. And in others, the virus is so explicit and egregious. In some cases, this virus is merely just a frustrating and painful inconvenience. Some cases are not so deadly. But as we continue to see, some cases are utterly terrifying, taking life in an instant. Victims like 27-year-old Eric Garner, who complained of the symptoms on camera, I can't breathe, he said over and over again. I can't breathe. The virus choked the air from his male black body. And it makes me mad how this virus seems to devastate the financially insecure, the poor, and the homeless. And there is so much to talk about in the news about this virus, how we need to find a cure, how we need to heal those who are affected, how we need to compensate those who have been suffered. However, the discussion of that only seems to somehow make this virus worse, our country more divided over its treatment. Death after death after death, and so many caught on camera. I find myself exasperated, literally shaking, talking about it. How can we fight against such an insidious and invisible enemy? If you think I'm referring to COVID-19, then you are wrong. The virus I'm talking about today is the virus that has plagued our species for hundreds of years. It is a virus that has found a very susceptible host in the United States, and it is woven into the very fabric of our country. The virus I'm talking about today is the virus of racism. Now, COVID-19 has killed nearly 80,000 Americans in the last few months. And it has taken its toll on our mental health and our economy. And there is still so much we do not know about it. But one thing we do know about COVID-19 is that it will end. There is news of work on a vaccine. There is light on the horizon. Humanity is calling on all of its resources and the brightest minds to find a cure for this virus. There is a deep hunger for stability and peace. Now I want you to compare that virus with the virus of racism. What makes that virus so much more deadly and maddening is the fact that there appears to be no end, no light on the horizon. We seem reluctant to marshal our resources to fight this scourge, even when the murder of black people is broadcast around the world. Emmett Teal, Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, 
Freddie Gray, Philando Castile. These were black sons and daughters of black mothers. And now there is another. His name was Ahmad Marquez Arbery. The video of his brutal murder first surfaced this past week, and you may have seen it. In fact, I hope you saw it. And uh, no, I'm not CNN or Fox News, so I'm not going to go into the details of the murder. I think you should find those out for yourself. I think you should read the, the police report. It's on the internet. But this morning, I will leave you with the undisputed facts of this case, of this modern-day lynching. Ahmad Arbery was a 25-year-old black child of God who went for a run in Brunswick, Georgia. He was unarmed, he committed no crime, and he was pursued by two armed white men in a pickup truck because he was wrongly suspected of a robbery. And when he attempted to evade his armed, aggressive pursuers, there was a struggle. An unarmed Ahmad Marquez Arbery was gunned down with a shotgun and a 357 Magnum in broad daylight in the middle of the street. Like so many black men who have been murdered or lynched before him, Arbery was killed for the simple fact that he was a black man. Another victim of the virus that has infected us with the belief that black bodies are dangerous criminals. Now, I said at the beginning that this was a Mother's Day sermon, and I wasn't lying. Ahmad Marquez Arbery was born on May 8th, 1994, Mother's Day. He was a beautiful gift to his mother, a woman named Wanda Cooper-Jones. She loved to watch him play football. She was proud of the grades that he earned from South Georgia Technical College, where he was studying to be an electrician. But today, Wanda Cooper-Jones cannot celebrate her motherhood like many of the mothers we know. Instead, she is now in the position of defending the actions and the existence of her dead son. Thinking about Arbery's mother brings to mind one of the most profound books I have read since I have been in school here at Church Divinity School of the Pacific. And it's a book called Stand Your Ground by the Reverend Kelly Brown Douglas. Douglas is currently the dean of the Episcopal Divinity School at Union Theological Seminary, and she is also the canon theologian at Washington National Cathedral. And she is a wise and powerful black mother. And in her book, Douglas reflects on the phone call she made after she watched a press conference featuring the grieving parents of Jordan Davis, a 17-year-old black high school student who was shot at a gas station by a white man over loud music. Douglas writes in her book, Stand Your Ground, and I quote, I called my son, who was at college. I repeated to him the words I had spoken to him after the trial for Trayvon's killer. I said, I am your mother. 
and like Trayvon and Jordan's mother, I will defend you until my death. But, she said, I don't want to defend you in death. So be safe because the world is not safe for a black male body. What is the cure for this racism that brutalizes and dominates black male bodies? That briefs that brings grief and sadness to black mothers. What might a vaccine look like for such an infectious and malignant virus? And for us here at All Souls and in the Episcopal Church, what is our response as Christians? In John 14 today, we see Christ speaking to a group of disciples who realize that things are changing and that the road ahead is not safe. Their bodies and the body of Jesus is at risk. But Jesus comforts the disciples by telling them, do not let your hearts be troubled. He also tells them, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, despite all the weight this passage bears and all the ways it has been used throughout history as a weapon of exclusion, I don't think that Jesus is trying to make a religious exclusive statement here. I don't think Jesus is trying to say that the only way to know God, to be with God, is through Christianity. No, we must remember what has led up to this moment in the Gospel of John. Throughout this gospel, Jesus has turned water into wine. He has healed the sick. He has raised the dead. And he has washed feet. Throughout this gospel, he has displayed what it means to be a servant. And so what I think Jesus is trying to say here is that no one gets to God other than by living as he did. In a life of sacrificial love. In other words, the way, the truth, the life, it isn't exclusively a person. It is a conscious decision towards a Christ-like servanthood. A servanthood that calls us to name and surrender our white privilege so that others might thrive. A servanthood that requires us to call out racial injustice wherever we see it and whenever we see it. A servanthood that embraces, like a mother, black bodies and all bodies, regardless of their gender or their color or their creed or their sexuality. Maybe this example of Christ as a servant is the antidote we need to cure this country that is ravaged by racism. But what would that cure, what would that cure even look like? It is in times like these with questions like that that I am so thankful for the traditions that hold us even when it seems like there is no light on the horizon. 
in the Episcopal tradition, we have something so tangible to help us remember and enact that Christ-like servanthood. Words that we say over and over again in our lives, our baptismal vows. Do you remember them? Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? Will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? And do you remember your response? Maybe it's these vows and the spirit of God inherent in them that can provide the cure. Perhaps it's these vows, if we assume them and practice them, if we allow them to inoculate us. Perhaps they can be the antibodies required to heal America of the virus of racism. No, our vows cannot bring back the loved ones that we have lost to this virus. The black bodies riddled by violence and hatred. But they can, if shared widely and practiced with intention, usher in a new era. An era that gets us a little bit closer to the kingdom of God. An era where black bodies are not seen as something to fear, but to embrace. An era where black mothers no longer mourn the murder of black children on Mother's Day. 